Welcome to another episode of Pardon My Enthusiasm, a horror podcast, film, spooks, controversy, death, and crime, where the eerie is discussed. I'm your host, Damaris Montufar. Today's topic, Lady of the Dunes, Celebrity Doe. The Lady of the Dunes, also known as Lady in the Dunes, is the name given to the Jane Doe found at Race Point Dunes, Provincetown, Massachusetts on July 26, 1974. This is one of those cases I personally was not too familiar with until I started doing research for it. When I decided I wanted to start a podcast, I went through thinking of things I could talk about, and so this so happened to be one, because when I googled it, the first hit had Stephen King and Jaws, so I was like, let's look into that. On the case, unfortunately, there is not a lot of substantial information out there since she was never identified. Without identification, it's a lot harder to find suspects and keep an investigation going. There is a bit of debate on who really found Doe. Um, Leslie Metcalf was with her family walking with a friend's dog when she was around 12 or 13 that July 26, 1974. The dog smelled something was up and brought her right over to the body. Leslie immediately told her parents her father went to investigate and they contacted the police shortly after. Now there's Sandra Lee, at about age 9 or 10 at the time, claimed to have found the body a few days prior while walking her dog on a family camping trip, but said she was too afraid to say anything. There isn't really a way to prove her wrong or right, but I'm gonna be real honest with you, I don't know how much I love this story. I couldn't really find a definitive answer on when she came out with this information, but Sandra Lee is a crime writer now, and the skeptic in me can't help but see how helpful it could be to have this kind of thing in one's career, to have this type of story under your belt. Regardless, it doesn't really affect the case, I don't think. Just a little bit of tidbit to chew over. Back to our victim. Her body was found a few yards from the road and was heavily infested by insects. Her time of death is ranged from roughly a few days to about three weeks. A lot of what I read was like, two weeks, she was dead for two weeks, and you know what? I'm, I'm here for that in the middle. Let's give it a go. About 46 meters from the crime scene were two sets of footprints and tire tracks. Ms. Doe was face down, partially on a blanket, but there were no obvious signs of struggle, suggesting it was a surprise attack committed by someone who knew the woman, or perhaps even while she slept. But that also kind of begs the question of why was she sleeping in such an odd spot and in such an odd position. Under her head, full of long auburn red hair in a gold elastic ponytail, were a pair of Wrangler jeans and a blue bandana. And this is important, so keep it in mind. She had an athletic body build. And at about 5'6", or 168 centimeters, her weight was 66 kilograms, or 145 pounds, estimated between the age of 25 to 39, although that was not the original range, which was originally 20 to 49, but that's a big old range. A big lead investigators had was her teeth. It was called a New York-style dental work that cost from five to 10 grand. The most obvious purposeful harm to her body was missing hands and forearms and the almost decapitated head, expected to be from strangulation, which is really icky to think about. 
She had a head injury that was likely the cause of death, and she was missing teeth, as well as signs of sexual assault. A few places mentioned it was likely post, post, you know, when she died, making the assailant a necrophiliac. Just extra fucking gross. Her body has been exhumed three times. In 1980, where the skull was not reburied, 2000, where they extracted DNA, and in 2013. Those exhumations were in hopes of finding her identity through various tests, but considering she is still a doe, they did not go so well. There are theories that the missing teeth and hands have something to do with keeping her identity a secret, but her hand was found, like, just chilling out over there. One of the theories was, you know, that she had been hurt by animals like maybe it was a accident because her limbs were pulled apart and found in different places but it didn't look like scavengers and also scavengers don't undress you and then fold your shit under your head which i guess she could have done it was july i guess you didn't need pants but again it's just it's a lot of i guesses missing persons cases were the best go for information filing through contacting families whose missing person matched the description proved unfruitful a clay facial reconstruction was done in 1979 and it would be the first of many attempts to recreate the face for this doe in 2010, a CT was done to further help in developing better facial reconstructions. My favorite of the reconstructions is the one that looks most like a picture, like, like a straight up picture, not just like a sketch. I believe it's from 2013 and it has a with and without freckles. She's the one with the most vibrant of red hairs, which I feel qualifies more the whole auburn, but maybe red that is discussed when people talk about when her remains were found. There are a few leads that were pursued through the years. First, in 1989, some people in Canada mentioning, mentioned seeing their father strangle a woman around 1972. And while it is earlier than our dough, it's, you know, worth checking into. It's something. But it literally went nowhere. They just couldn't contact the person who had mentioned it. Next was from the reconstruction. Someone thought it looked like their missing sister who disappeared the same year from Boston. But no dice either. A criminal had escaped about a year earlier, Rory Jean Kessinger, 25 at the time, who offered similarities, but her mother gave DNA that proved the hunch wrong. As far as suspects, in 1981, Whitey Bul Bulger, oh, I was going to say Whitney again, <laughs> sorry, was a strong contender, seeing as the Doe reconstructions resembled a woman he had been seen with, and he also had a history of removing his victim's teeth. So let's take a look at Bulger for a second. American mob boss and FBI informant. His charges are a laundry list to read. We've got racketeering, murder, 19 counts of murder, conspiracy to commit murder, extortion, conspiracy to commit extortion, narcotic, narcotic distribution, conspiracy to commit money laundering, Born September 3rd, 1929, in Boston, Massachusetts, Bulger denied being an FBI informant and stuck to just being a crime boss. 
He came from a mafia family. They were Italian-Americans, and in 1997, a lot of the crimes started coming to light due to media exposure that super embarrassed the FBI. I mean, like, think about it. Like, this is your informant. This is someone feeding you information, but they're doing all of these crimes, so it looks really shady from the FBI. Like, did you guys know and just turn a blind eye because he was helping you, or were you really just that naive? Here's the real kicker, though. Brother wasn't actually apprehended till like 2011 at the ripe age of 81, and he was killed in prison. Blunt force trauma after being beaten by other inmates literally hours after being moved into his new prison. He moved in sometime October 29th, 2018, and was dead by 8.20 a.m. on October 30th, 2018. Some of the weapons used were a shiv made of who knows what, and a padlock wrapped in a sock, which reminded me of like the the soapy thingy, that was my wrist if you could hear that, that you put in the sock and they swing it like in Twin Peaks. They're like, it's gonna leave a bruise and whatnot, but ah, let me tell you, I'm not very interested in finding out how either of those things feel. Now, homie had done some stuff. I mean, he literally killed at least 19 people, which could def be an understatement because like, what if he ordered deaths? And what if some things just weren't caught and stuff? But the, the person smelled pretty rotten too. They allowed this dude's eyes to be nearly gouged out and his tongue was perforated to an almost detached point. This was the third murder carried out in this prison within the last 40 days. Like, uh, okay. And I'm, you thinking what I'm thinking, right? A prison to get shit done, to eternally silence. Like Jafar, your eternal reward. Huddling back to why we are here, the following suspect is a serial killer, Haddon Clark, who just kind of tagged this onto his victims, stating, I could have told the police what her name was, but after they beat the shit out of me, I wasn't gonna tell them shit. This murder is still unsolved, and what the people are looking for is in my grandmother's garden. I actually have no clue if that's what he sounds like. Like, please no one yell at me. It was just like really vibing with that when it was happening. So thank you. Haddon killed at least two people. Six-year-old Michelle Dorr in 1986 and 23-year-old Laura Huffteling. Oh, I feel like I fucked that up. In 1992. Part of his crimes included somewhat cannibalism since he apparently drank Michelle's blood. I don't know if it was all of it, but I mean... I don't know. That's enough, I guess. If he did kill Ardo, that would make it three for sure murders, and it would also expand his active years quite a bit longer. Haddon, however, suffered from paranoid schizophrenia, which is why it is believed that this isn't true, that it just kind of caused him to confess to something he didn't actually do, you know? The bright side, if we can really call it that, is that DNA is literally solving everything right now. Also known as the season of justice, DNA websites like Ancestry and Hereditary are really letting investigators find these killers and getting shit done. So there is hope, since her DNA is available, that Our Lady of the Dunes will be identified. 
now for media on this topic. When I first looked up Lady of the Dunes, the first thing that came up was something called Women, Woman of the Dunes or In the Dunes. Like, I actually don't really remember. It's a Japanese film from some years before the actual case. And I was like, oh, brother, now I gotta go watch it. I didn't do it for this because it doesn't seem to be relevant, obviously. But just a little tidbit in case you uh, were looking for something to watch. But for the real fun part, media, what really hooked me to this case was her hair because it's nice sounding, you know, at least mostly like this long auburn hair. And I'm like, yes, man, I'm fucking here for it. But what mostly got me was Jaws. I'm originally from LA and I cannot, exp- I cannot, oh my God, I grew, I spent like 10 years in Texas. So that just spit out right there. Um, I cannot explain to you why people always showed me jaws that was one of the reasons boats scared me not the ocean i'm all for the ocean let's go not marine life straight boats i actually have not seen jaws since i was a kid but in august of 2015 Stephen King's son, Joe K. Hill, mentioned that in one of his many reruns of Jaws, because it's his favorite film, he noticed similarities in the face and attire of one of the extras for the film. I went ahead and watched that clip. It's not too hard to find. You just kind of look up Lady of the Dunes and, you know, Stephen King's son, which is rude. So let's go Joe Hill and it'll pop up right there. Having been filmed in Martha's Vineyard, a mere 160K or... 100 miles south of Provincetown from Maida, October 1974. It's a little wild, but also kind of brilliant. The only real way to completely disprove this possibility is for that very specific extra to come out and share her identity. You know, obviously having her walking around and talking would really prove that she is not the Lady in the Dunes. But, I mean, maybe it's a little bit morbid, but I, I really love this theory. I I kind of love how and just eternal she is. Not just because her case is kind of shitty and interesting, but the idea that she's just there forever in Jaws. You can literally watch it anytime, all the time. She elevates herself from not just being a Jane Doe, whose nickname is Lady of the Dunes, but a Jane Doe that is now a celebrity Doe. The last piece of media I have is a poem. I found it in the Pennsylvania Literary Journal. It's page 301 of the copy I had accessed from my uni. And I just, it's weird. I I genuinely, that's like kind of it. I'm just like, how strange. There's literally a random poem from this. Um, But let's give it a go. In 1974 on Cape Cod, that harsh, assaulting song of gulls, mass screams, long red hair placed on bandana, jeans, nude body on a towel, looking odd, both hands removed, jaw open as if sawed, by killers who pulled teeth, destroyed the means of learning her identity and cleaned the crime scene, now she's only known to God. No missing persons report, no one sought to claim or bury her. There was no sign, nor clue that someone witnessed her demise. Her mutilated corpse lay in the morgue, 
anonymously sealed in its cold shrine. Justice is those monks chanting for her rise. The citation I have just says Los Chiavo, with their first name being an L, but I'm not really sure what it fully is, because it's not on the PDF I was able to find. It just says that it was released in 2019. I'm not a like poetry person and I get like music is poetry but like straight poetry I just kind of have a hard time with it so I'm definitely not going to go into judging this because I just don't know I just want to talk about the fact that it exists not how it exists I find it so fascinating that someone was like bro lady of the dunes a cold case like let's that's gonna be my poem I got it and they just like did it and I also don't know anything about monks like maybe I missed something or maybe it's something to do with them, I have to assume, but it's just kind of rad, you know? Like, dang. Now, this episode is going to be relatively short. I mean, none of my episodes are really that long, but this one's going to end within the next five minutes, totally. And part of that is because there's just not that much. As I've mentioned, I really kind of went through a good chunk of what's available about her, but I'm actually working on a really big piece right now. I I'm just doing so much research for it. I'm reading so much. I'm watching so much that it's really consumed my mind. And it was really nice to have this, I'm going to call it more gentle piece, even though it's still a little rough, but I don't know. How do you feel about it? What do you think about the Jaws angle on this? Does it seem realistic or reasonable? Is do you have a better idea? Do you think it is just a missing person that someone decided not to care about? Or, I mean, I feel like the easiest one is, it's a missing person, but the family didn't care because they split their parts with them and the family was like, okay then, bye bye And I don't know. I, I'm a little fixated on this case. I'm not really sure why. I think part of it is because they are fixated in it. Like Stephen King's son... Oh, I feel so bad. Uh, Joe Hill went through the trouble of coming up with the whole theory with the Jaws thing. That's, that's dedication, man. They've exhumed her three times. That's dedication, man. And I just, I want to know why. I want to know where that urge comes from. There's so many missing people. There's so many unidentified bodies. But this one is getting that attention. Why? As always, thank you very much for listening, and if you are ever so inclined, please follow me on Instagram at pardonmyenthusiasm.podcast, Facebook at pardonmyenthusiasm.podcast, and Twitter at pardonmepod. Pardon